Good morning, Valley Bible Church. Thank you for joining us here on our online platform. We're excited to continue through our series in the Gospel of John. And before we get to our passage today, I want you to entertain this question for me. I want you to think of this question. What moves us from belief to, or sorry, from unbelief to belief? What moves us from unbelief to belief? If, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, maybe you've been a follower for Jesus Christ uh, uh, for a long time, just ask, go back to that moment. Ask yourself that question. Go back and, and think of that moment where you decided to follow Jesus, where you, you first said, hey, I'm, I'm crossing the line. It's no more looking into Jesus. Now I'm following Jesus with the rest of my life. Go, go back to that moment and ask yourself, what, what moved you? What really kind of pushed you over the edge to say, now I'm fully in for Jesus? What moves us from unbelief to belief? Now, now maybe you're watching this and you're saying, you know what, Paul, I, I want to call myself a follower of Jesus Christ. I, I'm not at the point yet where I've crossed that line to, to fully just jump in with what Jesus wants for me. I'm more curious about Jesus. Well, I want to put that question to you as well. M- maybe ask it this way. What, what's moving you toward belief? What, what, is, what is kind of pushing you towards more curiosity, asking more questions, looking for more an- answers? What's, what's moving you toward belief? Now, as you think about that, wherever you are in your spiritual journey, as you think about that, you may think, Paul, is this a trick question? Because the answer it seems incredibly simple. What is moving me toward belief or what moved me from unbelief to belief? Well, I did, right? I moved myself. I made the choice. I believed. It's, it's very simple. It was, it was me. I did it. And you know what? That's a very actually fair way to kind of describe belief. It's to say that we did it. We participated in it. We were the movers, if you will, the primary movers in our spiritual journey. The Bible describes us as participants and the primary participants in the act of our faith. One of the most famous confessions of faith in the scriptures is in Matthew chapter 16. And in Matthew chapter 16, Peter, one of the closest followers of Jesus Christ, makes this just amazing statement to Jesus. He says, Jesus, you are the son of God. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Right there, what did Peter do? Peter made a move. We see later in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 16, you have this woman named Lydia. She's a worshiper of God. And it says, or she's a a, a Gentile who is kind of bringing herself close to the Jewish people. She doesn't yet believe in Jesus, but she hears the preaching about Jesus. And it says she just moves. She believes. She's baptized. Her family is baptized. And she even hosts the apostle at her house. I mean, what a radical move. They moved. You move, right? We move. We are primary movers in our spiritual journey. You see, but Jesus' answer to that question is not that simple. Jesus doesn't believe faith is simple. Jesus doesn't believe that belief is simple. Jesus believes the answer is much more complex That we can't just say that we are the primary ones responsible, the only ones responsible, solely responsible for the act of belief. Jesus is going to say, no, there's more than just you moving. Yes, you are moving, but there's somebody else moving as well. 
And here's what we're going to see in our passage is Jesus is going to see a crowd, a group of people who don't believe, who are in unbelief, who are skeptical about who Jesus is. And when Jesus responds to their unbelief, his explanation for their unbelief is not going to be simple. It's not going to be, well, it's just you. Jesus is going to zoom out and say, something else is missing, and it's not just your movement. Somebody else is not moving. Journey with me to John chapter 6. This is the passage that we're in in our series in the Gospel of John. And what we'll find here is this. I think the main point of Jesus' teaching in our passage this morning in John chapter 6 is this. And we're going to call it our big idea for this morning. So if you're only going to write down one thing, I want you to write this down. So whether you put it in your phone or you jot it down on a piece of paper, this is the one thing I want you to remember from this morning's message. The big idea is this. Unbelief is a solo, but belief is a duet. Unbelief is a solo, but belief is a duet. This is how Jesus is going to describe belief. Jesus is going to say, yeah, unbelief is is a solo. It's just us. We're the ones moving. We're primarily responsible, solely responsible for that. We can't blame our unbelief on anybody else. But on the other hand, belief is different. Yes, we are a part of belief, but belief is a duet. There are multiple movers involved, multiple people acting there. It's not just us. It's somebody else as well. And so we must humbly acknowledge that we cannot bear full responsibility for belief. Here's what's going to happen. Jesus, like I said, is going to see a crowd respond to his miracle in unbelief. And then Jesus is going to explain to them why they are responding that way. Why are they in unbelief? And I think Jesus' explanation may surprise you. Let's first look at the setting where Jesus gives his explanation of belief and unbelief. This is John chapter 6. I'm in verse 36. It says this, But I said to you, That you have seen me, yet do not believe. The setting, like I said, is unbelief. Jesus has just performed a miracle. He's fed thousands of people with a child's lunch. And these people have now followed Jesus. This, this, This large crowd has now followed Jesus. And now they're demanding that Jesus would perform more signs to win them over, to impress them. And Jesus is saying, look, you are still in unbelief. Why have you responded to my miraculous power this way? Now, Jesus, in response to their unbelief, is going to give an explanation. Now, I want you to do something because I like to do this when I read the scripture. Sometimes I'll pause myself. When I get to a point like this where I feel like the story is kind of pivoting in a new direction or, or something's about to happen or I feel like Jesus is about to respond uh, maybe in a certain way, like a, 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 a kind of climactic way. He, Jesus is going to respond with great energy. I kind of try to pause myself and, and just say, what should I expect, right? If I was in this situation, what would I expect Jesus to say? Now, if you're very familiar with the Bible, it's hard to do this sometimes because maybe you've read it over and over and over again. But it's a fun little exercise to do while you're reading, just to pause and say, what should I expect Jesus to say? So do this exercise with me. 
Jesus has performed a miracle, fed thousands of people. Then the response is unbelief. Now, if Jesus, if I told you Jesus was going to explain their posture, explain their response, explain their unbelief, what explanation do you think Jesus would give? Is Jesus going to give a solo explanation, a a simple explanation? What I mean by that is this. Is he only going to say, well, guys, you don't believe because, well, you don't believe, right? Very simply. The, The reason you haven't moved from unbelief to belief, well, it's really on you. It's on you. It's your choice. You don't believe because you don't want to believe. In fact, if things change, call me and and we'll reconvene. Is Jesus going to put the point of emphasis on them? Their will, their action, their movement. And here's what we're going to find. This is the shocking part. Is Jesus does not place the emphasis on them. Jesus sees belief as a duet. And Jesus is going to place the emphasis on somebody else moving so they will believe. This is the kind of experience. It's almost like going to a Taylor Swift concert, right? And and thinking Taylor Swift is going to be the only one singing on the stage. Now, it's true. It's it's Taylor Swift's concert, right? Her name is on the billboards. Uh, the, The whole concert is about you know, promoting her album, which is filled with her songs. But when you go there, if you think that she's the only one singing, you're going to be wrong. Sure, she's there singing, but she has backup singers. And in fact, if if those backup singers don't sing, she doesn't sound as good. And this is kind of what Jesus is going to do. Jesus is going to kind of broaden our vision here Kind of, kind of peel back the curtains, uh, let us go backstage, and he's going to say, look, it's not just one person singing. You may naturally see the spotlight on one person. You may naturally see the spotlight of belief as an action of yourself. But Jesus can say, let me peel back the spiritual curtains a little bit. Let me show you that belief is a duet, and there's somebody else singing behind the curtain." And in fact, that person singing backstage, that person singing behind the curtain, that person singing back to the left there in the darkness, that person singing in a spot where you can't see them naturally and easily, that person singing is actually the lead vocalist. Let me show you how this is Jesus' response to their unbelief. I'll read verse 36 so we kind of get the flow and we'll go all the way to verse 40. But I say to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me. That I should lose nothing of all that has been given me. But raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father. That everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. What did Jesus do there? Jesus right away points the emphasis on somebody else moving in the act of belief. And that's God the Father. 
Jesus does include us, right, people, humanity. Uh, We are included in there. If you look down at verse 37, it says that whoever comes. So clearly we come. There's an action of we make movement toward Jesus. We do play a part. Again, belief is a duet. It's not a solo, but we're a part. We're a part of that duet. It says we come. If you look at verse 40, everyone who looks on the sun and believes in the sun Clearly, these are actions of humanity. We look at Jesus, we behold who he is, the truth of who he is, and we believe, we put our trust in him. But where does Jesus place the emphasis? Like the lion's share of his attention does not go to us. We're there, but how does Jesus start things off? Look at verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me. All that the Father gives me will come to me. Jesus says that God the Father moves. He gives a group of people to the Son. And then they come. Now now notice the order there. All that the Father has given me will come to me. It's the given who then come. It's not the other way around. All that the Father gives to me will come to me. Now this idea is not foreign to the teaching of Jesus in other places. John picks it up uh, later in his gospel. If you look at John chapter 17, this idea of a group being given from the Father to the Son. This is not something that's just in this passage. We'll find it all throughout Scripture, but In Jesus' high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, you can look at verse 6. It says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Jesus is saying the Father has given him a group of people out of the group of the world. So this is a group out of the bigger group of the world have been given by the Father to The son, verse 9, says a similar thing. I am praying for them. Who's them? I'm not praying for the world. That's the large group. But for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Say the same thing in verse 24. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. This this idea of God's control, God's movement in salvation is not foreign to the teaching of Jesus in the Gospel of John. It's not foreign to the New Testament. There's very much a real sense of God is giving a group of people over to Christ the Son, and it says that those are the ones who come. Now think about that for a moment. Just in response to the unbelief that has presented itself, what is Jesus saying? Well, Jesus, first off, is not panicking. Jesus is not concerned, wow, you know, my poll numbers aren't so good. You know, I I just fed 5,000 people or 5,000 men, probably 20,000 people total. I've just fed all these people. I walked on water before my disciples. I've done all these things. Man, I can't get any good press. my, My poll numbers just aren't great. People aren't believing. Jesus is not, in his explanation here, insecure. Man, what can I do to get them to believe? 
right? Jesus very calmly and very clearly basically says this when he hears that this group is skeptical, when he hears that this group doesn't believe. Jesus basically says, well, God's plan's happening. The Father's will is happening. I'm not worried about it. All that the Father has given to me will come to me. They'll come to me. So I'm not worried that you're not coming. Now, look at this, because Jesus is going to now include himself as part of this duet. Right? Everything is our part and God's part. This beautiful duet, this, this song of belief is sung in harmony by two different parts. God's part and our part. Our part is very much there, but God's part is there. And that's the emphasis. That's the point. He speaks of the Father's part, but then he picks up his part. Look what Jesus says. For the Father gives, the, all who the Father gives me will come to me. And Jesus picks up his part. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. What is he saying there? That word cast out, ekbalo is what it is in the Greek. It means to thrust out, to, to throw away, to push out. When we see this verb used in other places, it, it always implies that something is in and is now being pushed out. So what is Jesus saying? If you come into a relationship with the Father, if you come into a relationship with me, if you come into the re- relationship with us, with the Father and the Son, I will never cast you out. I will never push you out. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, not only does the song of belief start with God, it finishes in God. He's saying from start to finish, what the Father started in giving people over to me, them coming to me, I will keep them. He's saying the given come and the come are kept. He keeps them. He will not lose them. He finishes the song of belief from the first note to the last note. He says, I will keep you and I will never push you out. Look at verse 38. For it says, I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Now, Jesus emphasizing again, his work in belief. He says, I've come to do the Father's will. Look at verse 39. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that has been given to me. Now, stop there for a moment. This is an incredible truth here. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying the security that you have in your faith is based on my obedience, not yours. Do you see that? He said, I'm going to keep them. I'm never going to lose them. This is my Father's will, to lose nobody that he has given me. So Jesus is saying, if I lose anybody, then I am a failure. I've lost. I have not done the work that God would have me to do. If anybody slips out of my hands who the Father has given me, if I drop anybody along the way, if I don't bring the faith that first started in them all the way to the finish line, then I am a failure. Now think of the relief that that should press upon your soul. That is Jesus Christ's obedience to the Father that keeps you in faith. Jesus is saying true faith will always finish because I don't fail. I keep you all the way. 
right? And he gives us a marker in the future to think about, a finish line, if you will, to think about. Look at verse 39. But I should lose nothing of all that the Father has given me, but raise it up on the last day. What is he talking about there? He's talking about the great day of resurrection. The great day where he will bring all of those who believe in him back to life. Right? He will reunite those who have died body and soul together and we will enjoy the new heavens and the new earth forever in eternal bless, bliss and communion with him. That's what he's talking about. I'm going to bring you all the way to the end of this age and into the eternal state, into the wonderful new heavens and new earth, the new creation. I'm going to bring you all the way to the finish line. If we go back to John chapter 17, Jesus' high priestly prayer, Jesus basically testifies, I did exactly this with my disciples. The disciples who I chose in the beginning, Jesus will say, I kept them. I protected them all the way to this finish line of my earthly ministry. Now, he'll keep them all the way to the end of their life as well. Look at how Jesus prays in John chapter 17, verse 12. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except for the son of destruction, that scripture might be fulfilled. Who's he talking about there? He's talking about Judas. In John chapter 6, we see that Judas was called a devil. Jesus knew from the very beginning who Judas was and who he was prophesied to be. What part of the plan he would fulfill out of his own action and volition, he is responsible, culpable for his own actions. His unbelief is solo. It's on him. And Jesus says, but the ones you gave me, I brought them all the way to completion. This other guy was not really one that you gave me. It's not that Jesus is saying this is an exception to my power, right? That I I just messed up. You gave me 12 and I dropped one, but hey, I brought 11. That's still an A. No, Jesus is saying you gave me 11. I brought one along that the scripture might be fulfilled. And he, in his own free will, chose to act in unbelief and to betray me. But the 11 that you gave me who were mine, who came to me, those I kept until the end. What a beautiful duet. What a beautiful duet. Do we have a part in belief? Absolutely. We come, we believe, we look, we see Christ for who he is, we trust in him, we believe that's true. But are we the only one who moves from unbelief to belief? No, there's another one moving. And it's God the Father is moving. Now again, this is a hard pill to swallow. Think think here for a moment what Jesus is basically saying very clearly to this group who is very skeptical of him. He is saying to them, oh, you're in unbelief? Well, the reason you don't believe because my father doesn't want you to. Right? Isn't that what Jesus is saying there? Isn't Jesus saying, well, you're not coming. If you were given over to me, you would come. But you're not coming. Maybe you're not given. That's a hard 
pill to swallow there. I mean, that's a hard truth to swallow there, but it is right there in the scriptures. Now, here's what often happens when we read a passage like this, and I would say in studying this passage with groups of people, this always seems to be one of the questions that comes up. Now, wait a second, wait a second. What if somebody wants to come, but they weren't given? Like, like, what if somebody wants Jesus, but Jesus doesn't want them? Like, what if they're trying to get on the stage and they're trying to sing this song of belief and Jesus just refuses to touch the microphone? The father just refuses to touch the microphone and he leaves them stranded out there on the stage to do karaoke by themselves. What kind of friend is that? Now, we can't go too far. And I think we'll see the second time Jesus basically gives the same explanation to their unbelief. Jesus will clarify that that group does not exist. There is no group that wants Jesus and Jesus doesn't want them. Again, in our passage, it says, anybody who comes to me, I'll never cast out. There is no group that want to come to Jesus, who want to follow Jesus, but Jesus is saying, no, I don't want you. Let's, let's get further clarity on that. Let's, let's keep going in our passage. Look to verse 41. What's going to happen is the Jews are going to respond again in unbelief, and then Jesus will explain their continued unbelief, and he's really going to do it in the same way he's already done it. Jesus is going to say, belief is a duet. The reason you haven't moved from unbelief to belief is because something is missing. Something is missing. Somebody is not singing their part. And God is not moving. Look at verse 41. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph? whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? What's their problem here? Now, we're going to pick this up later when it talks about the bread from heaven, and you, you talked about it a, a last week as well. But really, their problem is not how Jesus is connecting himself with the manna that fell from heaven, heaven in the wilderness to feed the Israelites in the wilderness. Now, it, it's not just that. Their problem is that Jesus is talking about being from heaven. He's talking about his divine origin. That he's come down as God to humanity. That's why at the very end they say, we know where this guy lives. How can he have come down from heaven? They're doubting Jesus' divinity. They're doubting his origin. They say, man, we know where you live. I have your address in my phone. Jesus, I know where you are. I can GPS to your house. Like, clearly, you're not from heaven. And Jesus is going to respond in the same way to describe their unbelief. And why they're not moving to belief. And this section here, I think is stronger than the one we just read. And the one we just read is pretty strong. It talks about us moving, us, us, us believing, us looking, right? And this passage will do a, a very same thing. It'll include our part, that we're a part of the duet, that we are singing, we are on the stage, that we do have a microphone, right? But it's going to be much stronger on the emphasis that God the Father must move. And really, God the Father must move first. If he doesn't move, we'll never move. If he doesn't sing, we'll never sing. If he doesn't lead out, then we'll always stay in unbelief as we choose to stay in unbelief. Look what Jesus says. Responding to their grumbling, verse 43. And Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. Listen to these words. 
No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Look at verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. This is really the negative kind of counterpart to what was said in verse 37. If you look back up at verse 37, verse 37 said, All that the Father gives me will come to me. What is he saying there? The given will come. They will. Now, if we're just thinking of this logically, not to saying that we could prove this from just this one verse, but this verse did not say that, well, there might be others that come. Maybe there are some non-given people who will come. Verse 37 doesn't eliminate that possibility. It doesn't. Now, I don't think we could really assume that with great confidence just because the passage doesn't say it. But the point is, in verse 37, he is saying simply this. The group here called the given, all of them are going to come. All of them will come to me. Now, it seems very clearly that what Jesus is saying, that only the given will come. But Jesus doesn't clarify that point and really until verse 44. Look what he says. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Jesus is saying there is no other group. Right? There is one group. Those that the Father has given to me, those that the Father is drawing to me. Those are the only ones who come. There's no way for us to wiggle around this verse to say that somebody will come to Jesus without God drawn. Or or somebody will come to Jesus without being given by the Father to the Son. Jesus is making a, a chain, if you will. And the chain is so connected that it cannot be broken. He's saying the Father gives a group of people to the Son. He then draws that group of people to come to the Son. And then the Son keeps those people till the end and raises them up on the last day. The whole song is sung by God. Now it's a duet. It's not a solo. It's not just Him. We are involved. We are there. We are singing. We are looking. We are believing. Even in the section that we just looked at, it says that we still come to Him, that we are taught Verse 45, we are taught. And verse 45, it also says that we have heard and we are learning from the Father. Again, we are active. We are involved. What we cannot do is kind of flatten belief. Make it this very simple thing, this very solo thing. And say, all that it is, is really something that comes from one source. And that's us. The scriptures... does. Just don't give that simple of an answer when it comes to an explanation for belief. The scriptures paint a very complex picture of belief. Just to show you that this is not just here in this passage. But those two examples I gave you of belief in the very beginning of the message of Peter and of Lydia. Let me just show you those two descriptions of Great acts of belief, where people's lives were changed, where they moved from unbelief to belief, that those actions are actually a duet. 
not just a sola. Go to Matthew chapter 16. Peter's great confession. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He makes that confession. And just from a human perspective, it looks like what? He made that choice. He made the move, right? Going back to that Taylor Swift concert idea, the spotlight's on her. Who's singing right now? Taylor Swift is singing, right? It seems like we know exactly what's happening. This is a solo moment, right? But Jesus is going to peel back the curtain. He's going to show us a deeper spiritual vision, and he's not going to see a solo. He's going to see a duet. Look at Matthew chapter 16, verse 16. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered, look at his response. Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. What is he saying? Good job, man. But look at his next explanation of what happened that made him confess this. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but the Father who is in heaven. Peter has this great act of belief. And what does Jesus see? A solo or a duet? He sees a duet. He sees the complexity of belief. He sees Peter singing. Yes, blessed are you, Peter. Good job, Peter. Great singing, great movement, great choice, great action. But he also sees the work of the Father. In Acts chapter 16, we see the same description, really, given by Luke. Luke is going to allow us to kind of look into what's happening spiritually to this woman, Lydia, this Jewish bus- or non-Jewish businesswoman. Verse 14 of Acts chapter 16. And one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. That means she was a Gentile who was making herself accustomed to Jewish practices. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after that, she was baptized. Her household as well. She had a moment of belief. If you were standing right next to Lydia, and there was this crowd of people, and all of a sudden you just see her eyes fixed on Paul, this speaker. And as he speaks about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, you see that she is captivated. Maybe, maybe Paul asks for, for a, a, um, some kind of signifying mark that, that somebody is believing the message that he's saying. Maybe he says, would you raise your hand if you believe this? Would you raise your hand if you're willing to be baptized to show your, out, your inward commitment to Jesus Christ by that outward sign of baptism? Would, would anybody do that? And Lydia raises your hand and you think to yourself, she is making a choice. She is moving from the human perspective. Yes, that's very fair. And the Bible describes much of Uh, of the acts of belief in the scriptures as very much us moving. But it also broadens our view to show us that something else is happening. God is moving. Unbelief is a solo. But belief is a duet. Now what does that mean for us? What, What does that truth do for us? Sometimes we hear a passage like this and where it leaves us is just in a state of confusion. It's hard to understand. And I think if we're all being honest, no matter how learned we are in the scriptures, 
Maybe we've taken even classes about Bible, classes about theology. No matter how much we've read or how much we've thought about, talked about, debated, prayed about, all of that stuff, I think we all have to humbly acknowledge that we don't know how this all works out. How is it that everyone who freely comes to Christ has been freely chosen by God to do so? How can you hold those two truths in your hand? That everybody who wants to come is free to come. You can freely come to Christ. But how is it on the other hand that God has freely chosen to give a group of people over to his son, draw them to himself, and keep them all the way till the end? How can God be free in his choice of giving that group over to the son and doing that entire work, and yet we are urged to believe, to choose, We saw in John chapter 5 that Jesus would criticize people for refusing to come to him. So how can we own the choice and God own the choice? How can we be free and God be free? What we have to do is just humbly acknowledge this. We don't know how the mystery all works out. We don't know how these two voices harmonize to create this beautiful song of belief. But that's not our job. Our job is not to fully understand what omnipotence is capable of. It's not our job to do that. Our job is to be faithful to the scripture, faithful to the truth, and hold these truths in balance. And if we can move away from the anxiety of not having complete clarity on all the details of how that works, I think what you'll find is these two truths are incredibly liberating truths. Let let me give you an, an example. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, Seeing belief as a duet is one of the most liberating truths when it comes to sharing your faith with a friend. I remember the first time coming into knowledge of this truth and feeling so incredibly relieved. I don't know about you, but maybe sometimes you have just stressed about how to communicate the gospel clearly to your friend. I mean, you've just sat there and racked your brain trying to figure out how to persuasively present the gospel to this person. And and, and you've just sweated about it because you know what the stakes are, right? I mean, you know eternity, eternity is hanging in the balance. I mean, you talk about pressure, that's pressure. We're not talking about passing the bar. We're not talking about passing your driver's test. We're not talking about getting a GED. We're not talking about getting a PhD. We're talking about somebody's eternal destiny hangs in the balance. If that doesn't make you want to shut your mouth and not say anything because you don't want to mess it up, I don't know what will. The stress of that, you talk about test anxiety. You're talking about, man, if you say the wrong thing, this person may be doomed for all of eternity. But please go speak. I mean, that is just, you talk about stressing you out. And sometimes what we do is when we try to have a conversation with a friend, we try to have a spiritual conversation with a friend, we have this lens that it's just us and them. That's it. There's only two people involved. What does this passage tell you? No. No, there's not just two people involved. There's three people involved. God is involved. God could be drawing your friend at that moment. At that moment, he could be moving on their heart. He could be teaching them, as it says there. 
He could be speaking to the deepest parts of their hearts. As you communicate your story, as you communicate what Jesus Christ is you, as you communicate that that Jesus Christ's death and resurrection means the forgiveness of your sins, if you will trust and believe in him, as you communicate that, God could be churning and moving on their heart. I think the best way to read a passage like this, that even though it's a strong truth that Jesus makes to this crowd, basically saying the reason you don't believe, the reason you haven't made that step is because God is not moving. I think a really good way to read this passage, to understand this passage, is to insert a very small word, and that word is yet. Yet. God is not moving yet. God is not drawing you, as it says in verse 44, yet. Now, why do I think we should read that passage this way? Realize what Jesus did not do to this crowd. Right? Jesus did not say, oh, you don't believe? Well, here's why you don't believe. You know what? Um, Steve, your name's not on my list. God is not giving, giving you to me, so that's why you don't believe. Oh, Fran, Fran, you, you don't believe? Yeah, you're not on my list either. Right? Jesus is not talking about specific people. He's not listing off names of, well, you're not given, you're not given, you're not given, you're not given. God's not going to draw you. God's not going to. Now, clearly, Jesus knows who the Father has given to him. He knows who the Father is drawing. But Jesus is not speaking of specific people. Jesus is giving us a principle. The principle is God has given some to him, and God will draw those people to come to him, and he will keep them. I mean, this is a crowd, a large crowd of Jewish people And the primary people who will believe the message of Jesus' resurrection at the beginning will be Jewish people. So just because these people are skeptical now, Jesus is not saying they'll be skeptical forever. Just because they have unbelief now, Jesus is not saying they'll have unbelief forever. I mean, James, Jesus' brother, is a perfect example of somebody who was skeptical all the way to Jesus' resurrection, and then he believed. I don't think Jesus, again, is calling out specific names. He's just saying, here's a plan, and I'm not worried because my Father has a plan. He is given, he draws, they come, and then I keep them. So I think there's some in this crowd that will believe later. And I think it's better for us to understand what Jesus is saying is what? God hasn't drawn you yet. You see, because Jesus knows who the given are, but we don't know. We don't know the given until they come. So when we're talking with a friend and we're sharing our faith and maybe it doesn't go the way we want it to go. We we get out some of the truth, but they kind of just turn the topic a different way. Or or maybe our conversation gets cut off because our two-year-old just hit the dog with a hammer or something like that. Not that it has ever happened in my house, right? But something interrupts the situation. We shouldn't get frustrated. We say, okay, you know what, maybe God is not drawing right now. Maybe this interruption happened because God is just not moving at this moment right now. See, our responsibility is just to plant the seed, not to scream at it until it grows. Just to plant the seed and see if God moves. So so here's my challenge for you this week. Knowing that belief is a duet, that God can draw your friend to himself at his own time. My challenge to you is this. I want you to ask a very simple question to just one person this week. Just one person, a very, very simple question. Here, all I want you to do is this. Find that friend or family member, somebody really close to you. Not, not somebody far away from you relationally, just somebody w- within your relational circle who doesn't yet follow Jesus. 
Okay, I'm sure you can think of probably three or four people right now off the top of your head who are in your relational circle, who you are close with, right, who, who aren't yet following Jesus. And, and all I want you to do is this. It's very simple. Just casually say, hey, um, have I ever told you why I'm a Christian? I mean, I know you know I'm a Christian. I know you know I, I go to church. But have I ever shared with you why I'm a Christian? And if they say no, simply ask permission Would you mind if I tell you why I started following Jesus? Again, you're just asking for permission. You're not kicking any doors down. You're just taking an opportunity to see if God's moving, to see if you have an opportunity to sow a seed. You're not screaming, yelling. You're not on a megaphone on a street corner screaming that people are lost and going to hell without Jesus. You're just having a casual conversation to see if God's going to move. Just ask that friend or family member, say, have I ever told you why I'm a Christian? I know you know I go to church. Have I ever told you why? That's important to me. I know, no, you haven't. Great. Do you, mind if, if, do you mind if I share with you why I started following Jesus? And then just share your story and see what God does. Maybe God moves and follow his lead. Maybe God doesn't move at that moment. Maybe God doesn't draw. And that's okay. Just wait for another opportunity. Maybe God's just not moving yet. Now, maybe you're watching this and you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ. So you're you're curious about Christ. You're you're interested in the teachings of Jesus and you're starting to explore spiritual things. And I want to just right up front say thank you. Thank you for including us in your spiritual journey. We are deeply honored that we could be a part of that and speak into your life as you try to figure these really big things out. But but I want to challenge you a little bit to ask this question. Why are you curious now? Why, why now? Why, why are you watching this? Now you may say, well, you know, a friend invited me to watch it or recommended that I, I watch it. Or, or, or maybe you just woke up this morning, you thought, you know what? I'm just feeling a little more spiritual today than I did yesterday, so I thought I'd go to church. Or, or, or maybe it's just the stress of life right now with just everything happening. You, you're thinking to yourself, you know what, man? Is it, maybe I need to get spiritual. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but I, I want to have you entertain this idea that maybe there's more to you watching this than you think. Maybe there's more behind the idea of your attention being here right now than you think. It's more than just a friend's invitation, more than just maybe a family relationship or, or, or a crisis at work or the circumstances of everything that's going on or just that feeling of wanting to be a little more spiritual today. I, I want you to entertain the idea that God is supernaturally drawing you to himself. Why is it now that you're watching this? Why, why is it now? With everything that is going on, why is it now? I, I, I want to venture a guess, and I, I, I'm going to call it more than a guess. I believe that this is not an accident that you're watching this. I think God is intently drawing you to himself. I think he's moving on your heart, that he is arranging the, the, the circumstances of your life for a moment just like this, for you to explore the claims of Jesus Christ. 
that he can give you forgiveness for your sin through his death and resurrection. So my challenge to you is this, is to follow his lead. I don't know what that means for you. If that means just maybe you come again next Sunday, right? Or maybe you call up that friend who invited you. You say, you got to talk to me about Jesus. Tell me why you follow Jesus. So tell me all about this Jesus guy. I, I want to figure this out more. I need to know more. I've never explored it. And it's, it's a good time to do that. Or maybe right now you're just ready to jump in and say, I'm ready to commit myself to Jesus. To believe that he died and rose again for the forgiveness of my sin. That, that, that I have walked away from God. I have moved away from God. I, I have chosen to move away from God's design. And I see now that that's called sin. And that has left me in brokenness. And there's brokenness in my life. There's brokenness in my family, my relationships. And, and just in my esteem, in my self-worth, in my desires. I just feel brokenness inside, outside, everywhere. But now I see that God wants me to bring God wants to bring me back to his wonderful design. And to get back to God's design, I I have to see the truth of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, death and resurrection for the forgiveness of your sin. And you see that only in Jesus now can your sins be forgiven. Not by you doing any work, not by you getting more religious, not by you doing even more good things. No. You see that you need God's help, and that's exactly what he gave us in his son, Jesus Christ, in his death and resurrection. If you will turn to him and trust in him, then God will bring you back to being in relationship with him, restore you to where he first created humanity to be, back under his design and under his blessing. And my encouragement to you today is to take that leap move from unbelief to belief. See that God is singing the song. And now he hands the mic to you and invites you to sing. Sing the song of belief. Trust in Jesus Christ today. Cross over that line from looking into Jesus to following Jesus. And if you do that, if you do that, we would love to celebrate that with you. If you make that decision to move to belief, the Bible says the next step for you, step number two in your Christian walk right now is to get baptized. To make that public declaration that Jesus Christ is your Savior and Lord. So my encouragement to you is, if you believe today, get baptized. Step out in obedience. Sing the beautiful duet of belief. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And we thank you for who you are to us in Jesus Christ. Christ, I thank you that you keep us. From start to finish, you sing every verse of the song of belief. From beginning to end. Oh, what a liberating truth. To know that belief is not a solo act that I must do myself. All by myself with only my strength at my disposal. No, Father. Christ, you keep me. And you will take me all the way to the finish line. Father, we are so thankful for that. I pray for all of my friends. All of my friends who this week, they're going to take on that challenge and they're going to, they're going to ask that friend that very simple question. They're going to say, have I ever told you why I'm a Christian. Oh, Father, I'm so 
excited about their courage to do that, to ask that question. I'm so excited to hear reports about people who have awesome conversations. And I know some of the conversations are not going to go well. I know some conversations will maybe just end there. Yeah, you've already told me I don't want to hear it again. And I know that's true. And I pray, Father, right now in advance that the people who ask that question, who start that conversation, would not be discouraged by it, but would say, maybe God will draw later. Maybe it's just not yet. But I'll be faithful and I'll try again. And I'll try again later. Oh, Father, I pray you'd be with them to give them courage. And Father, for those conversations that you're right now preparing in advance, For someone to come to faith. Oh, Father, I'm so thankful for what you're going to do. I think your word goes forth and it always returns accomplishing the purpose you intended it to do. It doesn't come back void. So, Father, I pray that you would do remarkable works through the people of Valley Bible Church as they have conversations. And maybe for those, Father, who are right now Just as they're hearing my prayer, they're thinking, yeah, I'm taking that step. I'm believing today. Today's the day I I put the line in the sand and I cross over and I say to myself, no more looking into Jesus. Today's the day I need to follow Jesus. If that's you and you're hearing me right now, you, you can pray a prayer of belief in the silence of your own heart or out loud if you'd like. You can pray something very similar to what I'm gonna say. Not that my words mean anything, but if they come from your heart, you can say something very simple like this. You can say, Father, I see that I need you. I need you. I need your forgiveness. I've broken your rules. I've broken your laws. I've moved away from your design. And now I feel the brokenness of that. But I see in Jesus Christ that there's a way out of that. My sins can be forgiven and I can be moved away from this brokenness. I trust in Jesus Christ, death and resurrection as the only means of my forgiveness. And I commit my life to following you. If you said that prayer and you meant it in your heart, the Bible says the angels are rejoicing. Father, I pray that you'd be with them. You'd be with those who have made that decision. I pray, Father, you give them the courage to see the next step is clear. The next step is right there. There is no mystery of what do I do next. You want to see them baptized. Just like Lydia made that decision. She heard the teaching of Paul, and then she was baptized along with her household. Father, I pray that we would see people not only come to faith, but also step out in obedience and see that that faith will lead to following. And the first step of following is to be baptized. I pray, Father, because of this, we'll see somebody baptized. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us and we look forward to seeing you next week.